Welcome to the South Plains Church of Christ podcast. To stay up to date on what's going on and how you can be involved, visit southplains.info. I pray that this message reveals God's truth and love to you today. Let's dive in. Well, just to be clear, because uh, everything I read says you cannot over-communicate, so let me say, today begins the third week that we've called you to prayer, the congregation to pray, asking God to work in us and to raise up additional shepherds to serve alongside the present ten. If you wonder who those are, you will find them also at uh, southplains.online there as well. And uh, this morning, the forms that are printed... If you need us to mail you one because you're online, you're not here, we'd be happy to do that if you'll let the office know. That's to be a tool, a tool for you to uh, reflect and pray as as you pray, to take you to Scripture, to think about these things, and then uh, to finally to uh, submit names. We'll have boxes out for that uh, starting next, next week for you to return all the way through September the 5th, so... Please keep that in mind. Please keep praying about that. Please uh, put your heart and uh, your mind into that process. You know, the last two Sundays uh, that we spent in the letter of James, we talked about prayer, we talked about wandering, and uh, I turned those things particularly towards elders or shepherds in our body. They are messages to all of us. And I, and I hope that you catch this thing. The difference, uh, the only difference uh, between shepherds and the rest of us is perhaps uh, their point of maturity in spiritual things and, and that they uh, were chosen to be um, chosen to serve in that way. Not every shepherd in a congregation is known as an elder of South Plains Church of Christ, but, but we raise up certain ones and we ask them to do that. But this is a call for you to grow and mature, for me to grow and mature. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a point for me to pick somebody to do the growing and maturing for me, but rather it's a call for each one of us, even as we consider those that we'll raise up to, to serve as shepherds. And in line with that, this morning I begin a series from Paul's letter to Titus. And uh, I'm gonna, I hope uh, that you've either brought a Bible or maybe you got your phone and you can bring out uh, the text and look at it here in just a little bit. Um, And this is a good book. It's a good book, and I'll tell you why. Because it tells us three things. There's three chapters, and it tells us three things. One, it tells us what good shepherds look like. It tells us what a good church looks like. And it tells us what uh, good followers of Jesus look like, what a good life looks like. And so we're going to be taking that trip over the next three Sundays. This letter uh, to Titus was written by Paul, in between his first and second stint in prison. (laughs) It's while he was released, somewhere around 62 or 63 A.D. Titus, that he wrote to, was a Gentile. He was a non-Jew, okay? He was not brought up uh, as a believer. He was a non-Jew that Paul had engaged and led into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's who Titus is. And then Titus began to go along with him as a co-worker, a co-traveler, a co-minister with him on mission. And this, the occasion of this letter is the fact that he had left Titus on the island of Crete. Crete is uh, an island in the eastern Mediterranean. Just, 
If you follow Greece down and you follow Turkey down, it's right there in the middle uh, in, in the Mediterranean. And uh, he's left him there to help the churches get organized, to get in order, Paul will say. And, and it wasn't an easy job. It wasn't a cush job. It's not like they sent him to a resort area because it's an island out in the Mediterranean. But rather, it was a pretty difficult assignment that he had given him because Christians had a reputation. It wasn't a good reputation. They were corrupt. They were immoral, and, and they were unethical as a people as a whole. And this letter to Titus is referred to often as a pastoral letter, a shepherding letter, uh, along with First and Second Timothy, which Paul wrote to Tim, Timothy, which those two letters stress healthy teaching. This one stresses what I told you earlier, what a good shepherd looks like, what good churches look like, and what a good life looks like, a good follower of Jesus looks like. The theme is simple. Here's the theme. Do good. That's it. That's the theme of the book. Do good. As a point of clarification, I'll, I'll recall because you know I didn't spend time in James chapter 2, verses 14 through the end of that chapter, where James says good works and, and faith go together. They go together. And yet I want to be clear, grace and good works must go together, but good works can't earn you righteousness. Good works can't earn you salvation. Good works can't bring, make God love you. Rather, God loves you and good works flow from being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Good works flow from being saved by grace. This righteousness that you have that Paul writes about in Romans 10 came not because of you, and I'll, I'll talk more about that in a minute, but by faith. So we are saved for good works is the point that, that Paul makes, that James makes. Jesus rescues us from sin by faith, by an active, responsive faith that turns from the world to God, that responds by dying with Him, being buried with Him, and being raised with Him in baptism, and proclaiming our faith in Him. And once in this relationship with Jesus, the desire that we have is to live out that salvation by doing good. And so in the book of Titus, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 7, be an example by doing what is good. Verse 14, be eager to do what is good. Chapter 3, verse 1, be ready to do whatever is good. Verse 8, devote yourself to doing what's good. Verse 14, be ready to do good whenever there's an urgent need. Do good is the theme of this book through all three chapters. This morning, we're asking the question, so what makes a good shepherd? What does a good shepherd look like? What does one look like? And I want to begin by reading the first chapter of Titus, and I'm going to ask you to open. It's not going to be on the screen. I'm going to read to you from one translation, and then I'm going to talk out of another, okay? Because I want you to hear this. Maybe you hear it a little differently. We'll talk out of uh, the NIV. I'm going to read it to you from the NLT. This letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. And now at just the right time, he has revealed this message which we announce to everyone. 
It is by the command of God our Savior that I've been entrusted with this work for Him. I'm writing to Titus, my true son in the faith we share, the faith we have in common. I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. Now, an elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife and his children must believe and not have a reputation for being wild and rebellious. An overseer, a church leader, is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be heavy drinker or violent or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy being hospitable, and he must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then we will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose where they're wrong. For there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and deceive others. This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision. They must be silenced because they're running whole families away from the truth by their false teaching, and they do it only for money. Even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said about them, the people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, lazy gluttons. And this is true. So, reprimand them sternly to make them strong in the faith. They must stop listening to Jewish myths and commands of people who have turned away from the truth. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupted and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. Such people claim they know God, but deny Him by the way they live. They're detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. Well, that's the first chapter, and, it, and clearly uh, there's some very strong language here in this first chapter. There's some very controversial things in chapter 2 we'll look at next week. But Titus is, and I don't, I don't want you to lose this, Titus is a good book, even though it has some difficult passages in it. Here's the problem mentioned in chapter 1. False teachers in Crete. Verse 16, they, who, teachers who claim to know God, but deny him by their actions. This points out how important it is for us as followers of Jesus to be sure that our behavior follows our belief, that we are living out what we believe. The attack on this church in Crete was not from some anti-religious group, was not from some antagonistic uh, people towards the church, but rather it was from people who claimed to know God yet live ungodly. That's not unknown to us today, is it? It's a problem that we deal with as well. Those who talk church, who talk Bible, who talk Scripture, who talk religion, but who do not walk in the faith, who do not walk in the light as He is in the light, as 1 John says. Likewise, on Crete, there were these leaders who deceive people for monetary gain. They want to get money dishonestly, said in verse 11. This group in Crete is not a small group. 
I'm not talking about those that eat ice cream. I'm talking, I'm talking about the size of these, these people who were, who were rebellious or false teachers. They weren't a small group or a tiny group of people, but rather there were many rebellious people, he said in verse 10. They were of the circumcision group, which suggests they were full of, that they had been influenced by some Judaizers, Jews who were trying to push the old law, and they were full of empty talk, addressing nothing substantial, and making silliness sound intriguing. They're making unimportant things sound important. So why is Paul writing to Titus about this group? Well, because, first of all, it's an inside group. It's an inside-the-church group. Using vague words to, dis to uh, distract and to divide the church so that they can financially gain. These kinds of things still happen today, even though it may look differently than that. And by the way, verse 11, this group, he said, is ruining, disrupting whole households, whole families, whole churches by teaching things, unhealthy things, that they should not. And he says in verse 10, it's empty talk. It's false teaching, verse 11. It's claiming to know God, verse 16, but not knowing Him and not living the way that Jesus lived. Your behavior should follow your belief. So, well, what, what is the shepherd supposed to do? Well, in verse 1, help others grow in their faith and the knowledge of truth that leads to godly living. To behave the way it believes. Healthy teaching leads to healthy living. Unhealthy teaching leads to unhealthy living living and shepherds who care little for god's word for healthy teaching actually care little for god's church protecting the teaching actually protects the people now what makes more matters more difficult for titus is uh the culture of crete it is, it is a culture that's not um not um friendly towards the way of jesus not friendly towards the teaching of Jesus. In verse 12, he quotes one of their own prophets, uh, the Cretan philosopher, I don't know if I can say this or not, Epimenides, I think that's how you say it, Epimenides, who says that, that they're lazy, they're lying, and they're gluttons. So he planted a church in a culture full of lazy, lying, gluttonous people. <laughs> so how does a church like that stand out in a culture like that? Well, he said in verse 1, by living godly lives. And you are to answer a lying culture with a God who cannot lie, verse 2. The Christian culture was marked by immorality and excess. And we have some of that in our own culture. You know, it's easy to look back in time and say, man, those people were so, I can't believe those barbarians were so barbaric. I sure am glad we're so civilized and, and, and civil, civil today. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think we're just as evil. I think we're just as bad. I was thinking about a movie. It's an old movie. I didn't realize how old it was until I got to looking for it. It was back in 1987, so it's over 30 years old, called Wall Street. And, and the famous quote in the guy's speech, greed is good. Greed is good. And, and we still see that in our culture today. Greed and corruption and self-centeredness. So what's the church's response to a culture filled with, filled with greed and excess? generosity and sacrifice that's what paul's going to say generosity and sacrifice is the answer the church gives 
Well, what about this list of qualities in verses 5 through 9? Jim, are we talking about elders here or shepherds or overseers? We heard different words. Which one's right? Well, which describes a good shepherd? Well, all three do. All three terms do. I've, I've shared this a couple of weeks ago, that these three words are found in Scripture. Uh, put them up on the screen. Presbyteros, which is translated elder. Episcopos, which is translated overseer. Both of those words are in this text. And the one who's not there is poimen, pastor or shepherd. It's used elsewhere to describe the same role. Elder is the most common word in the, in the New Testament. So most of the time, churches of Christ have, have used that word. We talk about elders. Well, who are the shepherds? Well, it's the same group of people. The one thing I would point you to in this text that is really important to note is that it's always plural. That a congregation of God's people, a flock, is designed to have multiple elders, multiple shepherds, as, as Bobby alluded to, multiple overseers. A plurality of elders or leadership for accountability. So no one person is controlling everything in the flock. There needs to be a multiple uh, group of people working to help the church fulfill its faith and further its faith. Now, a key, a key in this is verse 5. That really tells us that, that all churches require leadership. Uh, we don't want any leaders. I thought, Jim, I thought you said it was a circle. It may be a circle like a flock, but there is a shepherd at least. And that is why Paul said he left Titus on the island of Crete. Because a church will do good when the leaders and the people are submitted to each other under the lordship of Jesus Christ, who is the chief shepherd. That's what Peter called him in 1 Peter 5.4. He's the chief shepherd. Jesus is, and all of the under-shepherds, all of the Shepherds of congregations are looking to him to follow him. It was the Hebrew writer who, uh, in the 13th chapter of Hebrews, talks about our submitting to our leaders and says, Don't forget to do what is, in this interesting verse 16, don't forget to do what is good. That's the theme of Titus. Don't forget to do what is good and to share with others, for God is pleased with such sacrifice. Have confidence or obey your leaders, submit to them since they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so their work may be a joy and not a burden, because that would be unprofitable for you. Hebrews 13, 16, 17. So all churches, all churches should have shepherd leaders. How should those shepherd leaders act? Good shepherds care for the church by leading God's people into God's word. The people are to submit to the shepherds, and the shepherds aren't to lord, it, lord their leadership over them, but rather they're to lead them into God's word. So that we are together, he says in verse 9 of Titus 1, holding firmly to the trustworthy message as taught, so to encourage others with sound, which means healthy, healthy teaching. We want to be a healthy church, and we want healthy shepherds. Because when we're not healthy... We need somebody to come alongside us, right, to help us. Because the truth in this congregation is that you never walk alone. You may be struggling with something, but you never walk alone. It's the truth of our Celebrate Recovery ministry that meets on Saturday nights at 7 out in the Annex, that they open up about their struggles, and the point is we're here together. 
and we can celebrate the recovery from that struggle together. The truth is, this whole congregation could be in that because we all struggle with something. But we never walk alone. We have those around us to help us. And the top priority of a healthy shepherd is to point people back to Jesus, back to Scripture. Not to tell them what to think, but to point them to Scripture so that you will read the Scripture yourself. We don't have this reading guide that, we, that we've given you uh, j just so we have something out there. We want you reading the Scriptures for yourself. We want you digging in and learning to get. Don't, don't just come and expect Jim to tell you what it is because I'm fallible or your Bible class teacher to tell you what it is because they're fallible and our shepherds are fallible. That's why we point us, ourselves back to Scripture. We all must work together to be sure that our church agrees with God. Without God's Word, teaching becomes maybe motivational speech at best. You can't love or lead God's people without a high view of Scripture. So, I want to give you this morning three overarching characteristics of good shepherds. They're printed on the recommendation forms in case you... Uh, you want to follow along there or look back at it later. There are five musts and there are six must-nots. And I'm going to give them to you in three themes, okay? The first one is, a good shepherd has a proven pattern of good behavior. Verse 6 says they must be blameless above reproach. That does not mean they're faultless. That does not mean they don't have flaws. It means that we should consider the whole of a person's life, the pattern of their life, not just a one-off day they had or a bad day they had because our tendency, our human tendency is to denounce somebody for one mistake and then prop up somebody else who regularly is um, not doing the right thing. So, so blameless is this whole pattern of their life, a proven pattern of good behavior. The second thing is they exhibit, exhibit commitment to family. Okay, Verse 6, again, faithful to his wife. Literally a one woman man, okay? A one woman man. This is actually a reference to the polygamy that was going on in Crete. Crete was, was, was polygamous. Men had many different women, uh, multiple wives. And Paul says, marriage is a, in, in, in Ephesians, marriage is a proving ground for leading the church, God's household. He is to be faithful to his woman, his one woman, a one-woman man, one who stewards his, manages his home well, because one who doesn't steward his home well cannot steward the church of God well, verse 6 and 7. Third, a good shepherd has a selfless focus on others, a selfless focus on others. The human tendency is to be selfish. But a shepherd is selfless, who is, who is one who is outwardly putting energy on others, not inwardly putting energy on himself. And he describes it in verse 7 and 8. Not overbearing or arrogant, but putting energy into being hospitable, verse 8. Verse 7, not quick or hot-tempered, but verse 8, loves what is good and goodness is not, verse 7, given to drunkenness, but rather, verse 8, given to being self-controlled and sensible and upright and righteous and holy. 
is not, verse 7, violent, not a bully, but self-controlled. A good shepherd is not, verse 7, pursuing dishonest gain, not greedy, but, verse 9, generous and hospitable, holding firmly to the trustworthiness of God's Word. And then this section closes with comments on what is pure and what is defiled. Religion alone, Paul says, is detestable. Religion alone is detestable. Demonstrated by those who claim to know the chief shepherd, but they aren't living it out in their lives. In fact, their lives deny that. And then Christ alone, verse 2, Christ alone is the hope of eternal life with God. Just as we sang, just as is written, those made pure by faith in Christ alone, Christ and nothing else. You cannot make yourself pure. I, uh, I talked about Romans 10 earlier. Where it, where Romans, in Romans 10, he, he tells about how the Jews tried to make themselves righteous by keeping the law. And here's what he said. They didn't know the righteousness of God, and they sought to establish their own, but they didn't submit to God's righteousness which comes by faith, comes by faith. And then later says, faith comes by hearing the message of Christ and hearing by, and hearing by the word. So let me tell you this. I love the Lord, and I love this congregation of the Lord's people. And I love the elders, shepherds of this church. And now we want to raise up additional elders, shepherds who want to do everything they can to lead us into living God's Word, lead us into looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ, lead us in engaging others, lead us in leading others into relationship with Jesus and in celebrating hope healing and redemption that's found in him. God knows you. God loves you. And he calls you to this hope of eternal life with him. He demonstrated that love in the incarnation by God becoming flesh, Emmanuel, and living among us, the Son, who Acts 10 verse 28 says, went about doing Good. Isn't that interesting? You can boil what Jesus did by saying he went about doing good. And we want to live like that. And we do that by our trust in the crucifixion of Jesus where he gave his all for us. He, he gave his life to redeem us from sin. And then by his resurrection, which is the victory of good over evil. It's the victory of good over evil. And the promised ultimate victory in his return when we all shall be resurrected to life if we followed him. This morning I want to ask you if you hear his call. I know two who have heard his call and who are going to come to put Christ on in baptism here in a few moments. Maybe, maybe you also have heard his call and for some reason you've put it off. The shepherd calls you to follow him. And we would too as we stand together and sing this song.
thanks for listening. Again, I want to encourage you to visit southplains.info. There you'll find event calendars, important announcements, ways to give, and to request prayer. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.